0: You're listening to Living Faith, the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Avon Park, Florida. First Baptist Church is located at 100 North Lake Avenue in Avon Park, Florida. We meet Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. for Sunday school and 10.45 a.m. for morning worship. Sunday evening services are at 6 p.m. On Wednesday, we meet at 6 p.m. for our weekly Bible study along with our immersive student and children's ministries. Find out more at www.fbcap.net or give us a call at 863-453-6681. You can email us at info at fbcap.net. We'd love to connect with you soon. This is part of our current Sunday morning sermon series, Look and Live, Life and Light in the Gospel of John. Take your Bible and find two books, Luke and John. We're going to be spending most of our time in the Gospel of John, but I want us to first turn to Luke chapter 19 and then John 12. We're in John's Gospel. We're at the point of a triumphant entry. We're going to look at Luke 19 and then we're going to look at John 12. As we were singing, one of the the great things about corporate worship, and I I try to, I don't say this just because I'm a pastor, I, I believe it, I can watch preaching at home and, and I can listen to preaching and all kind of mechanisms and electronic devices, but you just cannot sing as the body of Christ unless you're at church. And, and I know sometimes people, people out there don't get that, but when you're in here, you get it. And, and even today, as we were uh, singing, I was thinking about the triumphant entry, and, and I was thinking about how can I keep from singing? can you imagine what it would have been like knowing what we know now, being on the sidelines of the triumphant entry? I mean, can you imagine knowing what we know now and, and, and seeing the crowd be so excited about what they thought was their Messiah? and They were, they were completely misguided, but still they were, there was massive celebration. Can you imagine knowing what we know right now and seeing Christ right into Jerusalem. And I was sitting there thinking about it. I don't know if I would cry or laugh or shout or just weep or fall on my face. I don't know. But as we were singing that, I thought, how can we keep from singing when we know what we have in the Lord Jesus Christ? And so I want you to think about that today. Uh, as we think about the triumphant entry, one of the, the things that is taking place in that text is there's a... Uh, Obviously a group of people that are really excited about what they're seeing and understanding, but they're not really seeing and understanding what Christ is or what Christ came to do. And so I want to read from Luke chapter 19. We get a little bit more information from Dr. Luke uh, for a reason. And then I'm going to take up in uh, John's gospel. So Luke 19, verse 28. Luke 19, 28. And then we're going to flip to John chapter 12, verse 12. So Luke 19, 28. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And when he drew near to Bethage in Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples. And he said to them, go into the village in front of you where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat, untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you why you untie it, you shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away went, and they found it, just as they had been told them. And as they were untying the coat, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the coat? And they said to him, The Lord has need of it. They brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And he was drawing near already on the way down the Mount of Olives. The whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and to praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. And they were saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he said, I tell you, if these were silent... There, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. And he was saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a, a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side. And they will tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And he's, he's looking into the nation of Israel, he's looking into uh, the people of Jerusalem. But it's also that, that idea of, I think, the, the old law and what the law and the work stood for. And having the answer through mercy and grace of the gospel and and Jesus sees their response but knows what lies ahead. And they will not leave one stone upon another or another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Now, turn, if you will, to the main text for this morning, John chapter 12, beginning in verse 12. and You'll understand why I read Luke when I read John. Luke provides a lot more detail that I think will be helpful for this morning. John chapter 12, verse 12, our, our king's triumphant entry. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. And they would have heard about Jesus and Jesus coming because just a few weeks ago, a few days ago, he would have raised Lazarus from the dead just a few miles away. And so the name of Jesus would have been so prominent and been circulated in such a way because of what he has done. And so they took branches of palm trees and they went out to meet him and they were crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And they were basically singing the old hymns of the faith. Psalm 118 uh, was a pilgrimage hymn and they would have been singing that as they were celebrating what they viewed, the coming of the Messiah, as they were celebrating their Passover. Jesus found a donkey and sat on it, just as it is written. This is... From Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, and he is sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, when he was crucified and and dead and buried, and he, he rose again, and he met with them those days before his ascension, then all this was made known to them. When he was glorified, then they remembered these things. They had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him to the dead, they continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that day they had heard of what he had done, of this sign. And so the Pharisees said to one another, You see, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look. The world has gone after him. Let's bow in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your words this morning, for your triumphant entry, that humble, victorious march into Calvary. We thank you, Lord, that you accomplished what your word had established since the beginning to accomplish We are grateful from the very beginning your plan was laid out, your plan was unchangeable, that your plan was right on time, and that you died on that cross for the sin that desperately needed to be paid for, that you did not come to make things better, you did not come to politically set free a nation or to be a a military ruler over a people but you came to be a humble redeemer and to be a sacrifice for our sin so that our sins may be forgiven and that we may be clothed with your righteousness and your goodness so lord i pray today that you would do a work in our heart and mind that we would not be as the crowd we would not be as those that day that saw a A Messiah that saw a great person but did not see a Savior. Help us to see you for who you are today. Let that change our life. And this we ask humbly in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. What I'd like to do is just look at several main obvious things here in our text. Some background, I guess you could say, about this. Event, this historical event, all four of the Gospels talk about it. As you look at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John are called the Synoptic Gospels. They they follow the same kind of idea and the thematic theme in, in Jesus' life. They're looking at it from different perspectives, and so some things are in some Synoptic Gospels and not the other, and there's some stories in others and not in the other, but this event is in all of the Gospels. Now we have John. John would not be considered a, the Synoptic Gospels because it was written so much later, and John was reading writing uh, from a different perspective. It's all God's Word, but John was writing from a different perspective. He knew that they would have known about the writings of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, but yet this event is in all four of our Gospels. It is the only, think about this, it is the only public demonstration that Christ allowed. You know, so often he was in the, in the background and so often he would quiet the crowd and so often he didn't want anything to be made known. But here's one event that was orchestrated by the Lord himself and said, this is what we're going to do. I want it to be well known what it is I am coming to do. And then we can also see through this, even as I quoted the scriptures that it was alluding to, it is full and a completeness of the Old Testament prophecy being made known. And I say this over and over and over. The way that you read the Old Testament is with Jesus in sight. Everything that we read in the Old Testament, the answer is Jesus. Somebody asked me once, I don't understand anything about all that stuff in Leviticus. Jesus. Everything that we see in the Old Testament, we are, it is as if, and a lot of times as we read a book, we read a book and we, we go through the book and, you know, we, we, we don't really understand it. It'd be kind of like the way we watch a, a ball game or something. We're just, we're walking through that event as we go, but we really don't know what's going to happen. And so sometimes like a, a documentary, we can watch a documentary. I love military documentary. When I watch World War II documentary, I know who won. And so as you watch that documentary, it it just makes everything what I love about the 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 God's providence even over well, God's providence over everything. Isn't it amazing when you watch a historical documentary and such a seemingless, meaningless event changes the outcome of something? We know the outcome and we go back and we look at it and we go, Oh that's why the Germans ran out of gas at Normandy in the Battle of the Bulge, excuse me. That's why, what's his name? I just forgot his name, the the main German general. He just happened to take a vacation on D-Day. So we read the Old Testament knowing what Christ came to do. And so, all of Scripture, so Jesus is entering, to thr- he's entering, and he, you know, all of the word is quoting. Everything in the Old Testament is pointing to Jesus Christ, who he is, who sent him, our need. It is full of Old Testament prophecy. Well, let's break it down. I don't have a real catchy, flowing outline for you this morning, I don't have four words that all rhyme and have the same letters but i think you can enjoy it just the same number 1 notice the timing of the triumphant entry i just simply wrote god's perfect timetable the day of his entry if you think back through the gospel of john john 6:15 Perceiving they were about to take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So in John previously, previous in John, in John chapter 6, Jesus withdrew. Now can you imagine being, if I was really, what if I was John the Apostle, not John the Baptist? And what if I knew what was going to happen? Could you imagine being with Jesus in John chapter 6? I'd be the first one. I'd, see, I, I always kind of gravitate more toward Peter, but Peter the Baptist doesn't sound as good. I like Peter a little bit more than John because Peter never knew when to shut up. I would have been more like Peter if I would have known what was going on here. Withdraw! We're not withdrawing, we're charging hell with a water pistol in the morning. Let's take Jerusalem today. Now's not the time, Peter. God has a perfect timetable for everything. He withdrew because they wanted to make him king. But see, that's not the type of king that Jesus came to be. They wanted Jesus to be king and ruler on their terms. I think that happens a lot of time in church. You'd be surprised at the number of people that say, you know, just hypothetically they've come up to me, not really hypothetically because it's happened, they'll come up to me and say, you know what, my life's in a wreck, and, and so you know I, I want to get a better job and maybe meet a woman and get married and have a great family, so I'm going to give church a try. Well, that kind of sounds good on the surface that you know you need to probably change your life, but is that really understanding what a need for Jesus Christ is? Hey, I'm going to give this Jesus a try. I've tried everything else. Maybe if I give this Jesus a try, my luck will get better let well, that's got faulty theology all through it. Hey, this Jesus is coming, and he's going to be our Messiah and our ruler. We're finally going to get Jerusalem back, and we're going to get rid of all these Romans and what they think is right, and we finally have somebody we believe that can do it. Surely, to goodness, he can do it. He makes the blind to see, the lame to walk, and even raises the dead. Surely, he can overthrow the Roman Empire. Let's make him king. Jesus withdrew. Because that's not the king he came to be. John chapter 7, in verse part of John chapter 7, verses 1 and 4, again he says, My time has not yet come. What the people of Israel had failed to recognize in religious people, they were familiar with the word, but they were not familiar with all the word. And all the word, and Isaiah teaches us what type of suffering, what type of servant is coming. I told you, a suffering servant. They overlooked that. They were looking for a military man of might and prestige, and they forgot that Isaiah prophesied there will be one come, but he will pay the penalty for our sins and our transgressions, and this Messiah that is coming will be a suffering servant. And so, with God's perfect timetable, as we look at this triumphant entry, there's this not yet. But then we see the next day, the large crowd had come to feast, heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. Imagine that day. Men, let's go. From Luke. Isn't it amazing? That we, we take for light. So, in, in Luke, this is how perfect God's timing is. Men, go get the donkey. (laughs) What donkey? The donkey that's waiting for you. Can you imagine one of us? Where is it? It just, Just do what I've asked you to do. Go tell the man it's for the Lord, it's for Christ. Again, this would be me. What if he says no? Just go. Isn't that amazing? a donkey that was born. I don't know the, the pregnancy cycle of donkeys. I don't know who owned that donkey before. I don't know where it got. Maybe it just appeared. I don't know. I don't care. But the second that that donkey was even thought, let's say it was born somewhere. The second that donkey was born, it was for a reason. Isn't that amazing? I think we overlook stuff like that. That's neat stuff to me. I mean, God is so in control and so got a plan. God God loved the idea that he was paying for the penalty of our sin so greatly. He had a donkey born the exact day it needed to be born and to be in the exact city that it needed to be in and being bought by the exact man that needed to be bought it on the exact day that he could enter the city. That is just incredible to me. That's how big God is. We could end the service on this, but we won't. If we have a God that can do that with a donkey to provide access for his son to die on a cross for our sin, do you not think he can take control of your life? I mean, that's incredible to think about. A God that can orchestrate all of these things to provide salvation can surely take the life of a believer. If you're born again, it helps. You need to be born again that he can take the life of a born-again believer and accomplish exactly what he wants to be accomplished through that life for the glory of the Son and the Father and the Holy Spirit. God's timing. And I, I'm saying that because all of us struggle with the what ifs and tomorrow and what's going to happen. You know, I'm going to be a grandfather. This week, I got real spiritual I, Shut my office door, and I just, Lord, you orchestrated a donkey. I'm going online, and I'm buying tickets today. Now, I'm going to tell you, if I nailed that perfectly, you, you're gonna. I might talk about that for a long time. <laughs> if I totally missed the due date, I even called the Brantley and Katie. And, again, God's working this out. The day I called them, they are in the doctor's office. I said, hey, I just bought tickets. What day did you buy tickets? I'm not telling you. I've bought the tickets. I know. I know. Now, if it doesn't come to pass, it wasn't really God speaking to me. It was heartburn from lunch. But (laughs) if it does, I'm telling you what, I believe it. We make light. We make fun. He is a big God that is in control of all the details of everything. So now we have the now. Think about this. I want to read some things to you. In one sense, Jesus was forcing their hand. He said, we're coming into the city. This is a big deal. He was forcing the religious leaders to make a decision. But think about this. What decision did they make? Now, if we would have been Baptists not knowing the redemptive purpose of this, we would have been praying at prayer meeting. Oh, Lord, let Jesus come in of that triumphant entry and don't let anything bad happen to him and let him get through the city and we're going to pray for his protection and his safety and that everything works out according to what we want to happen. And, Lord, let him get into the city and let the religious leaders not be mad at Jesus so that Jesus can enjoy the Passover. That would have been what we would have prayed as good Baptists, right? From a redemptive standpoint, what needed to happen? He needed to be arrested. He needed to be beaten. He needed to be tried. He needed to be crucified. He needed to be dying on a cross. He needed to raise again. We know all that. Now see, we would think that all of these things that are taking place should not take place. And God is saying they have to take place. He was forcing their hand. He was waiting on the celebration that they celebrate the Passover lamb, the celebration of Passover with the blood of the lamb on the doorpost of those in the nation of Egypt many years ago. And if the blood of the lamb was on the doorpost, the death angel passed over. So on the celebration of the Passover lamb being sacrificed, the true lamb of God enters the city. How about that for perfect timing? The now, so that Scripture may be fulfilled. I'm going to read some Old Testament Scripture for you. I'm just going to, I've printed it off so it won't take me as long to find it so I can preach more, okay? (laughs) Genesis, you can write this down. That's one of the benefits of going online sooner or later. I've got all this available online, pastorjohnbeck.com. You go there, and that's the note. You got my notes. Genesis 49. Now, sometimes we try to read too much into scripture and find something that's not there, but we're not doing this here. This, this is Old Testament prophecy here. We're coming to the end of, uh, of Genesis, and you can remember uh, Joseph is in, in slavery, and he has risen to the right, you know, the right up under the Pharaoh, and and uh, Jacob is old, and all the brothers, and Jacob's sons are there, and they're in Egypt. Remember Charlton Heston? Remember how that worked? And Jacob is on his deathbed and he begins to bless his sons. And he's blessing his sons. Listen to Genesis 49, verses 10 and 11. Genesis 49, 10 and 11. The scepter shall not depart from Judah nor the ruler's staff from between his feet. Scepter would have been what a ruler and king would have held. Where did King David? Judah. Where did King Solomon? Judah. Where did King Jesus? Judah. Jacob, in prophesying, in a sense, as he's blessing his children, he is giving us a prophecy of the coming Messiah until the tribute comes to him and to him shall be the obedience of the people. Binding his foil to the vine and his donkey's coat to the choice vine. And you can look at these words and and you think of the vine being like the nation of Israel. Now we have the donkey that Christ would have ridden in on. And that choice vine being Jesus Christ. I don't think that's a stretch to see that there. That out of Judah, this King Jesus would enter into the major Jewish festival and holiday on this day. How about Daniel chapter 9, verse 24 and 27? Now, you want to spend, your, spend the rest of your day working through the 70 weeks of Daniel 9, okay? Chew on this the rest of the day. Daniel 9, verses 24. 70 weeks are decreed. Now, this is the angel Gabriel coming to Daniel with a vision of the nation of Israel and their, their deliverance. They're in captivity in Babylon, and the, the angel of Gabriel comes to Daniel in their captivity, and he's prophesying about what is going to happen to a people that are in captivity. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression. This is Daniel 9, 24 and 27. And to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and prophet, and to anoint a most holy place. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the world to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there will be seven weeks. Then for 72 weeks it will be again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. Verse 26. I believe is a prophecy of Jesus Christ's triumphant entry. And after the 62 weeks, an anointed one, this is his entry and his death, and his burial and the ultimate resurrection. And after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off his crucifixion and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince that suits to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. And then shall come in the flood. And to the end there shall be a war and desolations or decree. And then it continues on for the uh, one week and a half of a week as you put to the end of the sacrifice and offering. Now, as we look at the 70 weeks of Daniel, there are different schools of thought of what is taking place here. But I think one of the overarching schools of thought is is at that 69th week, Jesus enters Jerusalem. Now, think about that. All of Old Testament is pointing toward this event. So you have, a, you have the Ezekiel and the Daniels, and you have the, the people of Israel in captivity in Babylon. And Daniel is seeking wisdom from God about, God, what can I tell my people to give them hope? And Gabriel the angel comes to Daniel and says, I'm going to give you hope. And times and times and times and weeks and weeks and weeks, there's going to be an anointed one, and he will come, and he will deliver the people. Now, I always take a very simplistic approach to a lot of things. I think a lot of you people of church folks have picked up on this. I am not going to spend the rest of the day charting out times and times and weeks and times and times and weeks and times and times and times. You can even figure out when does the times of times and weeks and weeks start and people just, you know, charts and diagrams and PowerPoints and it just goes on and on and on and on. I can tell you what's going to happen. At the exact time God wanted to happen and the prophetic word that Gabriel told Daniel, there was going to be an event that would change the nation of Israel forever. And that event would bring peace, mankind and at the end of that 69th week Jesus entered Jerusalem and died on a cross that's what Daniel 9 is saying that God's word is faithful and everything that God says will come to pass another scriptures we see and it actually was quoted in there in, in John 12 verse 15 is found in Zechariah nine nine, and you read Zechariah nine nine. Greatly rejoice, O daughter of Zion! Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem! Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The donkey, young, never ridden. If you look at the sacrificial law, what was sacrificed in the temple would have been an unworked, an unused sacrifice. You wouldn't take the old, you wouldn't take an animal that had been used to work, to sacrifice. You would take a a young sacrifice, an innocent sacrifice, an unused sacrifice, an unridden donkey, a young donkey. That's the sacrifice. We'll put the ultimate sacrifice. On the sacrificial animal. A donkey. Randomly owned by a person that randomly just gave it to the disciples who randomly just gave it to Jesus. Luke points out, I've always, some of these things, it just makes, I I love this. In In Luke's gospel, we see this. Pharisees came to, to Jesus. I'll tell you a great example. I, I just thought of this. Sometimes, as we live our Christian life, we do so to arise as little conflict around us as possible, especially in our culture today. We want to make everything as sweet and joyful. And as many people that can be happy. We don't want to talk about anything that's maybe even controversial or not right because we want everybody to get along. Jesus never did that. I mean, Jesus was loving and gentle and kind. Yes, but he was very truthful. Everywhere Jesus went, people, <laughs> every, the, the religious leaders of the world were always coming to him. You know, there's nothing wrong with standing on truth and realizing the world is never going to buy it. The world is never going to agree with us. The world is never going to condone it. They continuously came to Jesus. We don't like this. We don't believe this. How dare you do this? And what did Jesus say? Listen, if the church didn't utter a word, the rocks would proclaim who I am. That's an awesome statement to me. Jesus, how dare you allow all these people to say this? He said, let me tell you one thing. That's the way I would have said it. Jesus said, listen, if they don't say a word, the rocks would cry out. Pharisees probably say, oh, the rocks would cry out. What does that mean? It means this. The creator of everything has orchestrated this, is in charge of this, is blessing this, and is all over this. Could we not take that same philosophy into the world as we live out a gospel-centered life? Not arrogantly, not like crazy fundamentalists like the zealots in Scripture, but just go out there and live the life and look at the world dead in the eyes and say, you know what, it really doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what you think because the creator of the entire universe has already orchestrated this. He's coming back whether you want him to or not. And when he does, he's taking names. And I am not having anything to do with it because I'm going to be, you know, I always tell people this, it sounds, it sounds kind of silly and I don't want to make silly of it. It's going to be a great event. Man, when he's coming, I'm out of here. Because what follows the next thing when those clouds open up, I'm not going to be around and witness that. It's not going to be pretty. So when the world says, well, who are you to say that's the truth? Hey, <laughs> I didn't come up with it, but I sure do believe it. Who dare, how dare you allow these people to praise you this way? Listen, my friend, if they didn't, the rocks would because my father created everything. That's timing right there. That even nature understands God's timetable. You could almost say that the rocks, you know, rocks don't have a soul, but they could cry Rocks understand redemption better than some of us do. Notice the crowd. We have pilgrims from the outside. They were traveling out from Judea. I mean, you take any any major event, people coming in, You've got the locals. They, the locals were just stirred up because they knew Lazarus had been, had been raised from the dead. They were the ones that probably had all the, the palm branches. The palm branches represent joy and celebration. Uh, Luke talks about cloaks. Cloaks is, is honoring a king and royalty and taking care of someone. And they were all excited. He had raised the dead. He had raised the dead. He's got to be the one. He's got to be the one. He is the king. Think about this also. His first entrance into the city, his last entrance into the city, I should say, he's king. Next time he comes back, he's still king. They wouldn't acknowledge it coming in on the triumphant entry, but oh, I'm here to tell you, when he comes back, every knee shall bow to King Jesus. And then we had the religious leaders, they're not going to believe anything anyway. They're hard-hearted, they're blind, they're dead. They were so upset because someone was getting some credit and glory and they weren't. But now I want us to look at, in the next few moments, the reason. What is it that he was ushering in? The 69th week, what is he starting? What is he bringing in to, to being here? Go back to the text. A couple of key words. Peace. Peace. And victory. Those palm trees would have represented that which was uh, peace and that which was joyous and that which is victorious. Revelation chapter 7 verse 9, after this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one can number from every nation, from all tribes and people of all languages, they were standing before the throne of God, they were standing before the Lamb and they were clothed in white robes and they had palm branches in their hand and they were proclaiming peace and they're proclaiming victory so Jesus is ushering in to to people this sense of peace and this sense of victory we think of the word Jerusalem as the city it's the city of peace we think of Jesus' birth what did the angels say? peace on earth Luke's gospel it talks about their singing in Luke 12, 51 Luke 19 I should say Luke 19 they proclaimed peace in heaven throughout Jesus ministry there's been a proclamation of peace lack of conflict togetherness harmony sins forgiven restoration justification made right redemption It's all about peace and victory and joy and celebration of what Christ has come to do. He brings that for you and I. In the world that we live in, even as believers, we have so many things in our life that can just wear us down. Anybody have a wear you down week this week? Jesus brings peace. Jesus brings victory. He rode in on that donkey. He accomplished what he came to do by the Father. He died on the cross. He rose again. He's ascended to the right hand of the Father. He has sent the Spirit with us. We abide in Christ and by Christ abides in us. And they're at the, right, they're at the throne of glory with palm branches praising the Lord Jesus Christ, the one that brings peace. He still brings peace. Look at there in verse 13. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna. It means to save. They they didn't understand. They they had a hard time grasping what they were saying. They were thinking of a, a Messiah to save them politically and as a military foe. But Jesus Christ is that which brings salvation. If we could get excited in this time frame and say, hey, Jesus that raised Lazarus from the dead. He's coming into the city as we celebrate the Passover. Come and see. Bring your palm branches. That ought to be the message that we proclaim in the world today. Come and see Jesus. Come and meet Christ. He is the one that brings salvation. He's the only one that brings salvation. That's it. Nothing's changed. We can make up gods and make up things and make up isms and make up all these false religions but it is only through Jesus Christ that we have salvation. And here's the thing about it. When we ask him to forgive us of our sin and we repent of our sin and we place our faith in Christ, we know it. And notice there at the end of 13, even the king of Israel. They were misguided. They were confused. They were uneducated. They didn't have enough knowledge maybe. Maybe they just, there's a lot of things going on. They didn't know who Jesus was as king. I think in our culture today we have turned a knowledge of who Jesus Christ is in and we've made some, it'd be like them. But he's done this and he's going to be a king. But then once we realize what that really looks like, then we, they denied it. Well, it wasn't that long ago. It was just a small handful when he was being crucified. I think in our culture today, we have this mindset of what it means to be a follower of Christ. And we have this Jesus saves me type mentality. And we acknowledge that I believe in Jesus. I have this Jesus that has saved my, from my sin. I'm going to heaven when I die. And we're missing. He is Lord King Jesus, he is worthy of all honor and all respect and it's not a begrudgingly, I must follow Christ, I must do these things. Once we meet Christ for who he is, we have no greater desire but to follow him and but to worship him and but do anything he has led us to do for him. They said he was king, but he is truly king. You don't know how many times I wish I could find some formula to make people believe that. Like some weird pastor pixie dust. That I could shake over people to let them get it. Why can't you get this? You know why they can't get it? Because of their heart and their mind. Same reason they didn't get it. The nation of Israel saw Jesus come in in the triumphant entry as king. Let me read from you Revelation 19, 11. The next time the nation of Israel will see King Jesus, they'll see him as a king. Revelation 19, verse 11. Then I saw heaven open and, and behold, a white horse the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and he makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, get that as a picture, the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses, and from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron he will tread the winepress of the fury of wrath of the god almighty and on his robe and on his thigh he has written the king of kings and the lord of lords he is that king that rode in on a donkey and will return on a white horse He is a God of grace and humility and mercy on a donkey that provides redemption. But then he comes in as an analogy of wrath and a wine press. You know what a wine press does to grapes? And he will will bring up his, the redeemed of the church. He will bring up those that are his and and the redeemed and his will rise. And then he will consummate his wrath and his fury on an unbelieving world because they failed to acknowledge who he was. Can I just simply say this to you this morning? I hope you know who Jesus Christ is. I'd also like to say that I don't think the devil brought you here this morning just as it's perfect the timetable of God of orchestrating a donkey at a man's stable at a man's house at a specific day so Jesus' disciples get it and bring it to him, I believe the Lord has brought you here so you could hear the message of Jesus Christ. as we enter into a a season of mission offering and giving, as we enter into a Christmas season, oh my goodness, how exciting it is to know there has been a a triumphant entry and there's going to be a triumphant return and there's nothing but victory and peace and salvation and lordship all in between. But we must understand who Christ is. It says that he will come in glory. He is the God of glory. He will come and be a great ruler and a judge. He is a ruler and a judge. And he came that day so that he could go to the cross. I'm going to ask you if you would just to bow your head at this time as I lead us in a time of prayer. Lord God, we do thank you that you did come. you rode in, in a victorious but humble manner, at a certain day, in a certain city, for a certain mission. To die on a certain cross for our sin. And so Lord, I just ask this morning that we're not just your people that have heard the story of your triumphant entry yet again and not allow it to affect our life. And so Lord, as you are stirring the hearts and opening the eyes and the ears and the mind of your people, Lord, I pray that we would respond by faith and to that saving message of Jesus Christ. Not just a decision to be a believer, but a decision to be a believer that follows after and loves you as Savior and Lord. Let us be Christians that are committed to the King Jesus of Scripture to the King Jesus that will return again and this we pray in your name Lord